Today's episode brought to you by BossPods.com. Want a podcast like a boss? We've got the inside word on how to set up a podcast that's actually worth something. We've got the industry's best to show you how. BossPods.com. Podcast like a boss.
That was Satin off the album Atlas. And this is coming up next with Alistair Marks. That's me. I'm Alistair Marks. And what a special week this is in the Ramble Room. Because this week, I get to welcome another one of my very favourite musicians to the Chat Cave. His name is Ryan O'Neill. But you may know him as Sleeping at Last. And he has one of the most superb and prolific outputs I've seen of any contemporary artist. You've heard his music on Twilight, you've heard it on Grey's Anatomy, and now you get to hear it on Coming Up Next. Before we jump into the interview, friends, have you thought about recording your own show? Might be a video, might be a podcast. Well, you may have noticed the sound quality of Coming Up Next has most certainly gone up to 11. And it's all thanks to the good people at Rode Microphones. Rode Microphones deliver you superior audio quality at an affordable price. So, you know, if you're looking to start your own show, perhaps like a boss, record some music, shoot a film, something that may require you to have some sort of microphone device, Rode Microphones will have you covered. Check out Rode.com, that's R-O-D-E.com, to find out more information about their products. And if you'd like to find out more about my guest this week, you can find him on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under Sleeping At Last, and you'll find him at all good music retailers if you like what you hear. Throughout this episode, you'll hear a few of his songs. Uh, We've got Turning Page coming up and 500 Miles at the end, which are all available on iTunes amongst other places. And while you're on iTunes buying superb Sleeping At Last tunes, You might as well go on the Coming Up Next podcast page, hit the subscribe button and leave a review. And in return, I'll continue to bring you tremendous guests like my guest this week, Ryan O'Neill. There's there's so many things to uh, that that I'd love to talk to you about. It's um it's it's a little bit surreal to actually be sitting chatting with you um, because I am a huge fan of your music as well as your the kind of uh, philosophy that you have when it comes to creativity. Wow, thank um, you. No, no, thank you uh, for putting your music out into the world. It's really, it's a rare form of music uh, in, in that it is so uh, heartfelt and feels so kind of grounded in, um, in your own personal experience and, and history. Uh, and... We, we kind of touched on before the the um, the, the foundations of uh, of sleeping at last but you you got a, a break early on in your career um, when you got uh, when you got noticed by Billy Corgan from the smashing pumpkins yeah I did which is a which is a total you know dream come true especially at the time I had grown up listening to the smashing pumpkins pretty much um, all of my teenage years so um, to to have have my teenage years end with uh, with me kind of collaborating with him on something was a huge huge dream. How um how important do you think it is at any stage of your career, but particularly early on, to have those kind of mentors to help you? You know, like I've actually thought about that a lot recently, and I think it's it's even more important than it feels when it happens. Like in retrospect. I look back at um, at Billy Corgan's support, and which was which was a couple years of him just offering advice and just being really, really genuinely kind about um, you know this teenager trying to figure out how to how to make you know a career in music. And I, f- the biggest thing I think for me that I came out with um, was just it, it was just a huge sense of validation of what I was doing. So because I think you know you start playing music or you start any creative endeavor, and you you just have huge questions in your head about is it worth the vulnerability and is it is it any good is is what 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 I'm putting out there does it does anybody care about it and is it mm. quality so for me to have somebody that I admire that much to to kind of take me under his wing and, and say that he was a fan of what I was doing was a huge a huge sense of just confidence for me i always uh, just personally i always have a little bit of a a hard time being confident in general and creatively and musically having that early support, I think definitely contributed greatly to, you know, the 10 plus years I've been making music since. So it had a huge effect for sure. in just a, just a sense of validation. It's pretty, um, it's, it's quite amazing. It's very special to, to have that sort of mentorship. Uh, I think especially from someone that you are actually aware of and that you actually, um, uh, respect and, and admire. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it was kind of a fun, fun story with how it happened too. I, I was playing at a, playing a show in, in, in downtown Chicago and, uh, was, I, I guess I had heard from a friend that he was backstage. He didn't catch the show, but I, I saw him back there and I was totally, you know, freaking out trying to figure out, should I give him my demo CD or should, should I leave him alone? And, uh, <laughs> while deciding that he walked right by me and I apologetically handed him the CD and he was very kind and polite and, um, and then the next day, uh, one of his assistants called my house and I, I guess he got my number from the, the venue and, uh, tracked it down. And, um, so he, he wanted to speak with me and just said that he was into what I was doing and wondered if I wanted any help. And obviously I thought it was a joke at first. <laughs> I, thought, mm. I thought it was some weird prank that my, either the bandmates were, were playing on me or something, but it was a really, really, uh, amazing experience. He, uh, he then went on to kind of just even listen to new songs and, and gave his advice on like, yeah, you know, that's a, this feels like you're, you're the best fit for your vocal or things like that. And I think being a really particular artist himself, I think that he was even really sensitive about not like taking over and, and, you know, showing me how to write a song. It was more about like critiquing what I was doing, which was really, really hugely formative and uh, just a really unique situation for me. And actually, before before he got involved, uh, maybe two or three years before that, there was a there's a friend of mine um, who's a few years older than me that was in a local band called Waterworks that I really really looked up to, and he was kind enough. He was probably the first person in in a, in a musical sense to kind of take me under his wing. He produced my very first record, and um, it, it was I mean I call it a record, but it was more of a demo. <laughs> <laughs> definitely definitely don't wanna wanna have anybody hear that ever. But uh, it was <laughs> it was a very. Uh, it was definitely like the first time that I was figuring out what my voice is going to sound like and uh, what kind of songs I wanted to write. And he was a huge um, helpful figure as well in just teaching me about, you know, how, what am I really trying to say in these songs and is there a better way to say it? Like the, those little pieces of information, I think like he, he kind of opened my mind up to appreciating like the craft of songwriting. Something that you, that you touched on uh, in that is, was about your songwriting um, and through kind of looking into um, who you are and where you've come from, I, uh, I, I discovered that you were given your first guitar at the age of 13. That's um, right. For, as a Christmas present. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I, my parents were, uh, I, I think I asked for it maybe a couple years in a row. And uh, I, you know, I asked for all sorts of different things. So I don't think they, they were sure that I was going to stick with it. So they held off a couple <laughs> years and then um, eventually decided to buy me one. And I, I had a, I had an inkling that they, that they were going to get it for me that Christmas. So I actually broke into uh, where I, where I thought they might be hiding presents <laughs> mm. and I, and I played it a couple weeks early. So, um, they, they now know that, but, um, but I did get a little bit of early practice there. <laughs> what was it about the guitar that you were, that you felt so, uh, connected to as a, as a, a young man? You know, honestly, if I'm if I'm being completely honest with myself, it was definitely to look cool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just I was listening to a lot of bands that you know, like the the lead guitarist was such a. I just looked up to that and that position, and so I thought, oh man, well I I've got to I've got to get that accessory going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, it took a, it took a few months. Um, I've always kind of been like self taught in in how I approach anything creative. Uh, I actually I, I've even you know with drawing and things like that. I Anytime I got lessons, I actually kind of went backwards. I always felt like I was a little bit boxed in. So um, with guitar, I started teaching myself and just tried to figure out chords and how to tune the guitar. And that took a few months. And then after that, you know, I I, th I started to just realize that the the creative end of writing a song is actually what kept me playing. You know, it wasn't, I realized that the guitar didn't help me uh, be any cooler. Than <laughs> <laughs> it was, it wasn't doing its job. So I actually ended up falling in love with the, with, with the, you know, the idea of writing songs and, and trying my best. And I, I think I started writing my first song, maybe, maybe a month or two after I got my guitar and it was, it was really bad, but um, <laughs> made me, uh, made me, continue down that path which is I'm very grateful that I did there was something that you said in an interview that I read uh about it must have been shortly after that moment that you were talking about where you realized what the power uh that songwriting could have 
Um, I, I guess my I, my question is twofold. The first question is, what sort of music really moves you? And the second part is, what what is it that um, that moved you about songwriting and music? Yeah, that's a great question. I, you know, when I first got my very first uh, album, or um, when when music kind of, you know, I kind of enjoyed it on my own rather than just hearing it in the house. What my parents was were listening to, I started to realize that like almost every record that I loved had at least one or two songs that would physically, you know, give me the goosebumps or chills. They would, you know, make the hair on my arms stand up. And I always, it was usually the ballad. I, I, I have always. Um, been a little bit magnetized to to more emotional type of music and so it was always the ballad of the record that that moved me in that way and I think that that was my before I even realized that that was like my first uh my first like excitement towards music and then once I started writing uh as I said there's I think I I stumbled uh, that that was that was became kind of the model of what I wanted to write. You know, I I, I just remembered like, oh, my gosh, if a, if a song can physically move you somehow, um, that's the kind of music that I want to make. So that, it's been my uh, kind of my litmus test for the whole my whole career is um, did that song at some point give me goosebumps? Hmm. <laughs> and uh, that sounds kind of narcissistic but um did the did the no, melody no, no. or did the um did the chords did something about that song make me turn me into a listener rather than a writer you know what i mean to to really like actually enjoy it and appreciate it in that in that emotional way so i i still still today use that uh, as kind of my test and i i think that kind of expanding on that music has a really and all art does it's not just exclusive with music but music has a really special way of connecting with people in a way that you don't even intend um, or that the artist didn't even intend. And I think that that's, I don't know, it's almost like a voice that people let into their lives when they don't let any other voice into. And mm. I know that that was, that was true. Like I would, I would pay attention to the lyrics as a kid and just, you know, think about the world a little bit differently because it didn't feel like I was necessarily being taught something. I was discovering something on my own, somebody's uh, idea of something. And so, um, yeah, all of those things. And then as I as I learned to kind of figure out how to put my fingerprint on all of all of the uh, different areas of writing, lyrics and melody and things like that, I started to really just value and appreciate the the craft of songwriting as a whole. You know, like it's it's such a such a frustrating and challenging. Uh, I mean, all creativity is, but it's such a <laughs> such a uh, winding road. But I, I just, I absolutely love it. It's the finishing a song is one of my favorite feelings in the world. Well, you probably get that feeling a lot uh, <laughs> over the last few years because you I have finished a tremendous amount of songs. Yeah, I, I have, and I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that um, it's not, it's not wearing off on me. <laughs> yeah, I still, I still get just as excited to um, actually. Right before this interview, I finished one, and that was very, very pleased. So today's a good day. Today's an excellent day. <laughs> what, what's the song called? I want to uh, uh, look for it when it comes out. That one will be sorrow. Sorrow, cool. Yeah, so right now I'm oh. writing a song for each of the four basic human emotions. So that um, started with Joy, which we released a, a few weeks ago, and then Sorrow will come out probably in about a month, and then uh, Anger and Fear will be next, which those will be particularly fun challenges to figure out what that sounds like. Yeah, wow. Um, I, I, I'd, I'd love to talk to you about that process. Yeah. Um, but before we get into that, I'd just um, continuing on what we were just talking about then uh, i'm curious if you remember the first time that you ever um performed something that you'd written uh, or one of your own tunes or maybe maybe something that maybe it was a cover or something but the first time that you had an experience of performing um or playing music that made you uh, that propelled you to um follow it as a career oh that's a great question um i would say there was a song in that in that early early um demo record that i did that felt kind of like the the first real song I had written and it was called Capture. Honestly, probably if I listened to it now I'd be super embarrassed, but um mm. I remember feeling like it was the first thing that had my fingerprint on it entirely where it didn't feel like uh, I mean you have to you kind of have to copy other people <laughs> to figure out what your thing is. So I'm sure mm. that a lot of my early early recordings or or ideas of songs were 
accidental ripoffs of other people. But um, I think that that song capture in specific or specifically felt like the first song that I had really written. <laughs> and and so through that, you you're then kind of compelled to continue writing music and you create this band with your brother and your best friend mm-hmm. sleeping at last. What was the kind of, what was the uh, inspiration or the story behind starting the band? Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, I grew up in, in a few different local bands. So sleeping at last, um, that name came out, uh, or came to us probably, I think it was, I don't even know the exact year, but it was a long, long, long time ago. And it, I've, I've carried it on because I felt like, I felt like the, the music sort of matches that umbrella. So yeah, so the idea was, I mean, it was just the, the name in which I continued writing under. I, I was more of a, uh, in the early, early music that I played with friends, um, I wasn't even the singer at that point yet. I was just sort of a guitar player and writer for a couple, a couple earlier bands. And the necessity of a singer is kind of why I started singing. <laughs> so, um, and it was probably a year or two after I started playing guitar. Uh, so my voice was sort of just a means to an end <laughs> in order to be in a band, you have to have some, some vocals. So I guess, I guess I'll do it. And, uh, I ended up really, really enjoying that process. So sleeping at last was sort of the, the, the better version of, uh, all of that coming together. And, when um when your brother and um and best friend decided that they wanted to go and tackle their own projects um you you decided to keep the name and and keep up the um the band well i guess the presence of the band yeah uh, as a, as a solo artist exactly yeah i I kind of looked at it as my my journal. Um, so sleeping at last was sort of this this thing that I had always written down, like the most kind of personal personal stories and thoughts that I had. And I I, I just knew that um, when they decided to do some other stuff, that this would this would need to carry on for me because I, you know, it's kind of I can't the journal's not full yet. <laughs> yeah. <wow>. So, <laughs> um, but it was a really peaceful. Um, progression my my brother went on to do a actually they both went on to do separate completely different careers outside of music and i think that um in retrospect now especially i think it suits them really really beautifully and um and it also suits my my career with being kind of a i'm a little bit of an introvert and <laughs> uh, definitely a, a solitary wolf. writer so um it all has worked out very well how important is it for you to really be planting your own truth into your music. I think it's, I think it is the most important thing, honestly, like I, I, for some reason I, and um, maybe this was a result of some of my early learnings of what songwriting should look like from those, uh, from the mentors that I had. But from early on, I just, I knew that authenticity and sincerity was the only music worth making. And so that has been always a huge goal for me is that, you know, I mean, it's not that I won't sing fictional stories or things like that, but the, the, the truth in it has to be from my heart. And that sounds so cliche to say, but I, I've always kind of made it similar to, you know, every song has to, uh, move me physically in some way, uh, whether that's, you know, the hair standing up on my arms or something like that, or give me kind of that feeling. Um, I, I feel like that comes from it being authentic or not. Mm. So that's, that was an early lesson that I learned. So, um, and because the songs sort of are my journal, uh, it, it also feels, uh, obviously very, uh, um, I guess natural that the songs are as personal as possible too. Mm. And, and you create such beautiful, um, stories and narratives through your music, I think, because it much. is really tapped in to to your own experience because it is like we have an insight into an audio journal or something as you kind of described it yeah thank you i seriously that means a lot to hear that um i mean even when even when i've listened to covers that you've done um like you know i'm gonna be or um everything she does is magic it it feels like you really find what these songs mean to you 
before you go <laughs> into playing them. It's not just a. It's not that you're just repeating rhetoric that someone's written and then write, you know, playing the same chord progression. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah, totally. And that's been a really fun challenge. Like I, I had never actually grown up even doing covers. I, covers are a, a brand new thing for me that kind of um, it began with uh, the show Grey's Anatomy. They they reached out and asked for I think the first one I ever did was 500 Miles. And they said, hey, would you put your spin on on this song? Mm. And I have, of course, heard the song a million times and I I never really listened to it though. So in the process of covering that song and, and all the others that I had done since, um, it's been, been really, really fun. Almost like a, uh, research on songwriting, like these, these songs that are totally outside of my genre. Um, and I get to kind of figure out what the lyrics really mean and what they mean to me and, um, and, and try to put my, my spin on it as best I can. And, um, but thank you for saying that. That's nice to hear. Cause I, 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 I have a tendency to, um, I like sadder music. So, um, all these really <laughs> fun pop songs, uh, and then I, I, they, they end up coming out on the other side being, uh, <laughs> being a little bit of a, a gloomy experience. So, um, but I really enjoy it. Like the, the lyrics for 500 miles specifically, that was so, so shocked. That's such a sweet love song. I never, I never got that from hearing the, um, the the original version i've never really mm. paid too close attention to those lyrics but in in recovering in covering the song i i was really just taken aback by how uh how beautifully that song is written so mm. so i just do my best to try to um do those songs some justice mm. i think i think when uh when doing covers certainly from a fan's point of view it feels like one of the more important or critical elements of covering a song is to make it your own and not try to copy what the original artist did. That is so true. Yep, exactly. And what's the experience for you been like of uh, being, I suppose, commissioned by TV shows and, you know, some huge films to create, uh, you know, syncs for the for the shows and also to create original music for um, for soundtracks? Oh, I love it. It's it's one of my. I mean, so I I grew up not only being excited about music, but I I've always since before I can even remember been in love with TV shows and and movies. So, to to be able to have the opportunity to make music in some of these shows is just so so fun. It's one of my one of my favorite parts of getting to do this. And yeah, the first the first TV experience that I ever got was. Um, probably like eight or nine years ago and it was in the background of a show on on warner brothers uh tv out here called tarzan it was a live action tarzan show and it was uh, (laughs) a it only lasted for a couple episodes i think but um (laughs) but i i remember getting the call that that the song was going to be a part of it and we were just you know ecstatic and uh we tuned in i think uh, i think i was on tour at the time and so we you know had a bunch of friends tune in and watch it and it was so quiet in the background <laughs> it was like <laughs> you barely, I, I wrote the song and i couldn't even tell it was there i was like nope that's not it wait maybe it's it i'm not sure um so that was that was the kind of the beginning and then that led to uh, a few years of zero tv and film and then um i got a, i got my first Grey's anatomy placement and then uh that sort of led to a whole lot of other um, just different TV shows reaching out and movies and I yeah it's just really really exciting and fun and the the projects are you know um, made by so many am- amazing people so it's really really fun to be able to contribute to that. One of the first songs of yours that I ever heard um, was "Turning Page," which you did oh, cool. for, um, for for Twilight. If I had only felt 
love to know um i suppose from a uh, a behind the scenes point of view if you wouldn't mind sharing what yeah. that song was actually about um it started with a conversation with a friend of mine out in los angeles and he just randomly said hey how come how come you haven't tried writing a song for the twilight series and i was like well because it's a big deal and like why would i <laughs> you know try my hand at something so crazy um mm-hmm. he's like i would just try it and so i went home and i thought about okay well i don't know anything about the series and so i i read up and watched the you know all the me- movies leading up to the the breaking dawn film so i sat down and i was very uh aware that it was very unlikely that i was going to actually get a song in the in the film so i just decided like rather than writing this exactly for those characters i'm going to write it for my wife and about sort of a you know kind of have it be a love song for her and um wow and just in case <laughs> you know huh. in the in the the likelihood that it won't be a, won't be a part of the film and but at the same time it still worked hopefully well um with the with the idea of the story and um and I could kind of tell from the films that they were definitely leading up to this this you know this big romantic um uh wedding or uh relationship development between the two main characters so I knew that I knew that a love song would make make some good sense so I um Worked on the song for a couple weeks and then sent over my uh, my final version to my publishers and then they, they, they submitted it along with thousands of other submissions and I got a call several months later saying um, that it actually was going to be in the film twice. So it was a really wow. a really special moment in my in my career because it was the it's the first movie I've ever been a part of and and even my wife had loved the books and um, so it was just a really it was a really fun like. It's just a fun, fun couple months um, promoting it and promoting the getting to you know be a. I got to go to the the red carpet and the premiere of the film and so it was, 
you know, so outside of my normal day-to-day life. <laughs> it was it was really fun. But the song, um, I'm very, very glad that I chose to make it, a, you know, this personal love song because not that, not that it can't be authentic writing about, you know, fictional characters, but at the same time, I, I am glad that a little bit of, a little bit of my heart is, um, is all over that song. Mm, it's certainly with a lot of your, as, as I've said before, a lot of your, your writing and your songs are so kind of etched in your own history and, and your own experience of life and the world that, you know, it, it's, it, it does seem, um, so grounded in authenticity um thank you and and it really feels like you you know and you understand what it is to love and to be loved i am so fortunate to that that is true and thank you for pointing that out that's that's seriously beautiful and i i appreciate hearing that no uh, again thank you um this is just going to turn into a big gratitude fest i'm into it (laughs) (laughs) me too um (laughs) I heard uh, I, I heard in the background uh, as you were saying that a little uh, a little person yes <laughs> like they were running around she's uh, she's contributing to any interview I do these days um, she's my my daughter Lily she's uh, about a year and a half old now actually a little older than that so she is the the joy of my life for sure so definitely in terms of uh, inspiration I all I do is just hang around with her for a couple minutes and I've I've got albums to write <laughs> yeah wow. What was it? How, how long have you and your wife been together for? If you don't mind my asking. Not at all. We um we have a bizarre story, but we actually dated for about ten years, and then we got married six years ago. So we've been together a total of sixteen years, which is a which is a very long time, and it's been mm. um, amazing. We actually just realized, I think, yesterday that I have I she's been a part of my life more than she hasn't been. <laughs> wow, that's incredible. That just happened this year, yeah. Huh. I'm, I'm 32 going on 33, so yeah, we've been together over six, over 16 years now. Wow, <clears throat> and how did you guys meet? We met, um, and I, w- I was actually still playing music, or right, it was kind of the beginning of my of my music, and we met at a, at a concert, uh, actually a, a music festival in Illinois that um, she was attending and we had a couple mutual friends. She saw, she saw me play and then we had exchanged um, AOL instant messenger names, (laughs) screen names. And so we would, uh, we would flirt with each other. (laughs) Yeah. We would flirt with each other over, over, uh, over chat um, for uh, about six months to a year before she uh, moved from Kansas to Chicago. And then uh, we started dating from then on. Mm. Remember your first date? Oh, I do. We um, it was actually at her grandma's house, so super hot date. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah, she was she was visiting her grandmother in uh in Chicago, and so uh, that was our that was our first date. We did end up getting to go, you know, explore a little bit of Chicago, but not without some chaperone, um, brother and sister <laughs> mm. <laughs> accompaniment, which totally was uh, not the romantic date I had hoped, but it was great. Was was she the first? Uh, woman that you loved definitely absolutely i had dated a few other girls um before her but that was i was i was probably 14 or 15 and didn't really understand what love was at all (laughs) so um but yeah we and we we actually dated for a very long time due to just some really large ups and downs with with personal stuff and um i feel like that was such a gift to us because we we ended up sort of going through i think what a lot of people go through in their first few years of marriage we went through that in our first you know 10 years of dating so when we actually did get married it was this really special um celebration of like you know our this this decade of of our uh relationship so it was it was great. I'm. I wouldn't recommend people date for ten years, but got to do what you got to do. You got to do what you got to do. For us, it was really, it was really perfect. What are some of the things that you've found to that that have helped you in those kind of uh, more difficult moments to really uphold the relationship and really magnify each other's um, beauty and significance in the world? Um, I would say, at least for us, it was communication. I mean, we. I think that that rings true in every other part of our life too. When when things hit the fan, <laughs> um, it seems like the more you know, you, I guess that though communication and talking sometimes just feels exactly just like you know just empty words. Sometimes I feel like the effort 
that we put into constantly communicating shows, I think each of us, how much we care about the situation and we care about each other that we would, you know, continually repeat the same words over and over and basically Mm. talk until we're blue in the face. So that was a huge, that was a huge um, theme, I think in our, in our getting through some really hard stuff. And then I think just being super honest with each other too. I mean, that sort of goes hand in hand with communication that I think that we, we've had a, we've been brutally honest with each other pretty much our whole, our whole 16 years together. And that's, that has, that has led to a really, I think a really rich, deep understanding of each other. Mm. And we still feel like we're learning stuff about each other now, which is, which is great. And, um, even as we, as we evolve in our life, we, I don't know, I, I think it helps us stay on the same page and helps us um, appreciate when we're not on the same page appreciate each other's perspective. We we've been so there's I don't know if you're familiar with this it's called Enneagram have you heard of that no so the Enneagram is this uh I'm, it's I'm I'm gonna do a terrible job at explaining it but it's basically this <laughs> centuries old um belief not even belief that sounds more spiritual than it is it's it's totally not a spiritual thing it's just related to personality types and so mm. it's this it's this belief or the system of personality typing that is going um so it, it it supposes that there are essentially nine different types of people or nine different energies that people contain or carry. And they're sort of born with it. Um, and it's really, really, really fascinating because I think that just learning more and reading about that, um, for, for us in these past five years has hugely helped us understand each other and even understand friends and understand ourselves in, in a really, um, deep way. So that's been, that's been a huge helpful tool for us. And so the Enneagram is, um, uh, I'm trying to think of a resource that I can recommend people go check out. Um, the wisdom of the Enneagram is a book, um, that I would recommend. Um, uh, father Richard Rohr speaks a lot about Enneagram, Mm. um, and he has written about it as well. So he's obviously a, a great, um, resource for that, but it's really just, it's just super fascinating. Um, to, to understand the inner workings of people. And it's, it's not like, uh, like the Myers Briggs test or any of that, like strength finders. It's not like that where it's like, it doesn't, doesn't feel like a horoscope. It feels more like these are your negative tendencies. And when you're healthy, this is your positive tendencies. You know what I mean? <laughs> so yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's more it's, like it's, a framework. Than yeah. A, it's a, exactly. That's a really great way to say it. It's, um, and it's actually kind of a negative, uh, system. It's a little bit of a negative tool. Like it's not necessarily giving you high fives about how great you are. It's, it shows you the, the, the spectrum of like, you know, when you, when you're at kind of your worst, this is what it looks like. And here's what you can strive for to be at your best. So it's a really, it's a, uh, beautiful, um, tool for, for understanding people. And so I, part of this, uh, this project that I'm working on musically called Atlas, um, I'm actually doing a song for each of the nine personality types in the Enneagram. So that's going to be a really fun challenge to be able to, I'll be able to interview some, some friends that are, that represent each of those different nine types and, uh, kind of write the song from their perspective. So that should be Mm. a very uh, educational (laughs) project for me. Let's, let's talk about, uh, uh, Atlas for a second. Um, you started off a few years ago. I think it must have been just after your brother left the band with a project called Yearbook. Yeah. Where you released three new songs uh, or, or an EP at the beginning of each month for a year. Yep, exactly. Beautifully said. Um, yeah, and that was that, that project was definitely an attempt to just stimulate my creativity. I wanted to, I was very disappointed by how infrequently I was writing. I mean, we, we put out four four full-length records three or four full-length records and um i just felt like every time we would i would return to writing i i would be kind of nervous and not really comfortable in my own skin and i thought like this is my favorite part of the whole music experience like being able to create it and write it and why am i not doing that all the time so yearbook was sort of a a way to challenge myself creatively for a year and um I assumed that when it was done, I would either, I would either, or actually not even when it's done, I, I assumed that either I would totally fall on my face in the middle of it and not be able to mm. write that many songs. And then if I had gotten to finish it, I I had hoped that I would just be a better songwriter at the end, at the end of it. But 
it ended up teaching me so much about my my production and my writing and my kind of keeping the the creative line open all the time and and reaching a little bit deeper getting past writer's block so it ended up being this really really satisfying uh, way to approach music so that has led to what I'm currently working on which is Atlas and it's a this, a similar concept as yearbook in that it is a series of songs mm. rather than an album but um, it actually spans over several years so Atlas year one contained 30 songs and uh, had all these different EPs released within it that uh, tell this overarching story of the origins of the universe. So it's kind of a a, a thematic or a concept album uh, in long form. Man, I just got goosebumps from you telling me that. So oh, that's awesome. I have Atlas Year One. It's it's incredible. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that a lot. That's um, I'm sure you noticed the theme in there. Um, but basically, throughout the whole project, it will. It will kind of be, I mean, that's, it'll be like a little bit of an encyclopedia of my interpretation of all these different parts of the world and how we came to be. And so, um, so yeah, so I'll, I'll kind of briefly run through it. So Atlas Year One starts with an EP called Darkness, which represents before the known universe and before our, before we have any idea what happened. (laughs) And then Light um, is the next EP and that represents to me, it represents God, but it also represents the beginning of all things and beginning of uh, of the universe as we know it. And then I also do a song for each of uh, each of the planets in our solar system. And then that brings the camera a little bit closer to Earth. And I do a song for each of the four directions, so north, south, east, west. And then I end atlas year one with uh, the oceans so the five uh five six ocean i can't remember <laughs> a lot of <laughs> a lot of good my research has done me <laughs> yeah um and then atlas year two is actually it, the theme is involuntary human development so it's all of the things that were given at birth that we don't necessarily have any control over so um the first song is called life and that that's actually the the song is about my my daughter's birth so that's sort of a um, but it also represents um, life as a whole. And then a song called Daughter and a song called Son, which represents gender. And then I did a, I did five songs for the five senses. So I did each of the five senses. And then I'm currently doing the emotions like I had talked about. And then the Enneagram types. And then that concludes Atlas Year 2, which leads to um, Year 3, which will be all the voluntary human development. So the things that we do with all of those ingredients. So we build, we create, we love, we, we choose um, to do these things with it. So that's, uh, that, those, will be, those will be the themes for Atlas Year 3, which will, which will be a little ways away. But it, for me, I just love the idea of these themes uh, just being a jumping off point and an inspiration to rather than a blank canvas. I feel like the blank canvas can be such an overwhelming, um, overwhelming thing that it's really, really great to like right now, like I said, I I'd finished, um, sorrow and uh, just knowing that before I started writing that song, it had to, it had to lean into that melancholy, <laughs> you know, mm. um, it couldn't, it could, it wouldn't fit that title wouldn't fit with, uh, with a jumpier piano melody or something, you know? So, <laughs> It's really fun. These like little creative limitations help me help me stay inspired. Yeah, it's amazing to 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 have those kind of boundaries and frameworks to inspire um, creativity. I'm wondering how one goes about uh, kind of plotting such a prolific creative output um, because <laughs> you're talking about projects that not only require tremendous commitment, but such long-term kind of visions. With your book, it was more about how much can I put out and still be proud of the work. <laughs> that was, that was the, the criteria for that project. And, and for all of the songs that I'm putting out, like I, I have a, I have a strict rule of I will not release anything that I, I'm not genuinely proud of. Like if it, if it, if it felt like there's corners cut, like it's not worth, it's not worth putting out. So Mm. For your book, it was it was all about just trying to figure out what that what that number was like. Can I can I do three songs every month? And then less about the themes. It was sort of like a a year in in my brain. <laughs> you know, the, the yeah, lyrics wow. were all very much like uh, for the month of December. There was a Christmas song in there, <laughs> um, <laughs> things like that. But they're all very much like free free writing uh, journaling kind of thing. For Atlas, um, because the theme structure is kind of telling the story of the universe a little bit, 
I I knew that that would um that that would sort of dictate how many songs uh, would be would be ideal for each year. Uh, so thirty for that first one, and then twenty five for the current year that I'm working on, and then um, it'll be I'm not sure for Atlas Year Three. I'm still kind of piecing the themes together that I mentioned. But yeah, so it's been really fun because I, I I get to switch around the format. So Yearbook was all like those three song EPs, and then Atlas Year One was there wasn't a set length of songs per EP, but they were still, um, they were divided into six EPs. And then this one, Atlas year two, I've, I've approached totally separate as, uh, every time I finish a song, it comes out immediately wow. after. So that's been a really, well, I guess not immediate, but shortly after. So the songs yeah. are released as singles and then, you know, we'll, we'll at the end of the project be released as like a collection. Um, so that's been, that's been really fun. And creatively, I mean, it feels like I had mentioned, like it feels wonderful to finish a song, but knowing that I get to share it with people right away, that's even more um, rewarding for me because I, I, it just makes the, <laughs> the light at the end of tu- uh, each of these songs tunnels uh, a little bit brighter. <laughs> mm. Is it important for you in this kind of digital day and age to be uh, engaging and with, with your audience and putting stuff out uh, so frequently? Absolutely. Yeah. And that was, that was one of the surprise effects that the, that my yearbook project had was I had kind of assumed that, you know, it would be for fans of sleeping at last and it wouldn't necessarily, because I didn't have a, I have much time to campaign or like promote each of the releases. I had assumed that, you know, the, by the end of the project, it would probably hopefully still have as many listeners, but maybe some people will get bored with that much music coming out. And Mm. it ended up kind of being the exact opposite where because I had new releases coming out all the time, it kind of created its own campaign. And the story around the project also um, led to a lot of different people hearing it. And that's actually your book is what, what kind of put my music on the radar of a lot of different film and TV music supervisors, which was, which was a definitely like a huge life lesson for me. Like the, the more I focused on the art and creating the, the more opportunities um, would come. And as opposed to what I've tried before, which is, okay, I did the art and the creative and now I'm going to promote it and I'm going to put my business hat on and I'm going to try to, you know, get this music in the, in the right hands and that kind of stuff that never leads to, it, it always happens organically and do, trying to force it never works. <laughs> mm. So your book is the work, not the success. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like keep your head down and keep making the thing that you set out to make in the first place. That, that has been a, a very helpful. I've had to remind myself that often um, in these last several years, but the harder I try to create opportunities, the, the, harder I fall <laughs> on my face mm. <laughs> and when I'm paying attention to the thing I love uh opportunities find them you know find their way over which is which is great and it feels more rewarding that way anyway I it's funny now I can't imagine not doing series of music it's so it's so rewarding that um doing an album which I love I love the art form of an album and I probably will do another one at some point but I just I love the process of being able to share the music sooner and um and not really, you know, not doing the typical uh, put out a record and tour for two years and then come back and do another record and tour for two years and hope hope I have a hit song on my hands. <laughs> mm. You said in uh, Atlas Year One, the second part, Light, um, is kind of your interpretation of what God is. Is uh, Did you grow up in a... Um, in a religious household or with, with kind of a religious um, thread through your life? Yeah, definitely. So I grew up in a Christian home. My parents were Christian, but we, we, we didn't have a very, um, it wasn't an extremely religious uh, upbringing. We would mm. go to church every once in a while, but church wasn't a huge part of part of our upbringing. Um, but it, it, it created my, um, to borrow Richard Rohr's uh, idea, but it created the my first container. You know, my my understanding of of God came from from this uh, thing that my parents passed on, and then over the last I would say ten years is what I've um, discovered on my own, which is um, I still consider myself Christian, absolutely. Um, but I've always I've always from writing songs, I've always made sure that my faith is um, the only way to authentically incorporate it into my music is to let it naturally come through or not you know what I mean like if it doesn't then it doesn't and if it does then it does so I've made it made it a, a point to never force force it into my songs but yeah so I, I did have a it was a very very st- strong in faith and uh 
not very religious. <laughs> so, yeah. So it was more more about faith and believing in God and and believing that God cares about the the people that are that are here and um and so much less about um the organized part of religion. Mm. What what what's the kind of definition I suppose or the idea that you've uh, arrived at for what or who or how God is and operates in the universe? I think that it all has to do with love. And I feel like that's, I mean, that's sort of my answer for why are we here and who is God? And is, is it more than just chance that everything came together? Um, and so I feel like, yeah, I feel like love is a clue into all of that, at least for me. So I, I fully embrace mystery and I fully embrace that God is probably far greater and bigger than we are able to put into words. Yeah. And how significant are uh, uh, qualities like gratitude for you in evolving your creativity and I guess your humanness? Yeah, it's a huge, it's a huge thing. I, I, you know, a, a couple of years ago, my wife and I, we started kind of making a point every, every night or every day to, to, recite three things we're grateful for, which is such a small, pathetic act of um, understanding gratitude. But it it ended up being this really beautiful practice that we, I think like at first, the first few days, you're like, I'm grateful for my wife and for my house and for, you know, like the obvious, the (laughs) obvious things. things. Yeah, the tangible stuff. But then once you, once you really start to look at it, um, you, you end up being able to show gratitude towards the smaller, more important things. That's amazing. What, what, what have you kind of ascertained about love that it, that it, um, the effect that it has or the, the power or capacity that it has to connect and heal? I mean, one thing, one thing about love that I think is really interesting and I don't know it can be said about anything else. Um, but you can't like, there's, there's no negative effects of too much of it. Do you know what I mean? Like almost yeah. almost anything else in the universe, if it's, there's too much of it, it it breaks things down and like it, it loops back around into being a negative thing. But I think with love that there's, yeah, there's like, I can't imagine somebody loving somebody too much. I can't imagine. Um, and I mean, re- like truly loving that person, not, not even just in a romantic sense or, um, but like a genuine, like the genuine definition of love. You can't kill someone with kindness. No, you can't. <laughs> you um, can bother people with it, but you can't. <laughs> <laughs> you can write music about it That's as well. That's right. Yeah, you can. Just kind of rounding out uh, mm-hmm. our conversation, I, and, and I really um, cannot express how much I appreciate your your time and for jumping on the call with a uh, a relative stranger to talk about pretty philosophical shit. This is seriously a treat. I'm I'm honored. I'm intrigued about how you would um, define success because on paper, you know, you are a, a, an incredibly successful artist and um, and have this just tremendous and prolific output like we've been talking about through this whole interview. Um, and you've worked with some of the most amazing um, musicians in collaboration and had your work on some truly amazing shows and and films i'm curious from your point of view does it feel like you are in a state of succeeding or is there or is it a a a less kind of tangible concept you know i realized i realized probably a few years ago that i had probably a i i didn't understand what success looked like i think you know growing up i had always been like okay if i if i'm if my career looks like you too then i'll be successful (laughs) you know (laughs) or if uh if if i could be the you know as as well reviewed as radiohead then i'll then that'll be successful like little i mean not little massive massive like childish dreams of that sort of thing was was my definition of success and i think as i get older i realize that being able to do what you love for a living is, is, is a huge blessing. And it's a huge, um, that looks more like success to me. And also, I mean, even that, that's, I think that's a trite answer. Cause I think, I think genuinely success in songwriting or success in, um, any creativity is, is finishing the work, <laughs> you know, that's, mm. that's successful because, uh, it likely will mean something to somebody, you know what I mean? And that's, um, if it can help 
give hope or help do something for somebody else in, in some, in some small way. That's it. That's, that's really the best part of, uh, music or art or any of that kind of stuff. If it can kind of offer a different perspective on something or, um, make somebody feel not quite alone in their feelings or their, their ideas. So, yeah, so I, I would say that, I would say that by creating anything at all, that was a form of success. And I'm very, very, very grateful that people still listen to what I'm doing and still listen to me write in my journal (laughs) as often (laughs) as I do. And, um, and that I get to, I get to raise a family from, from that support. Like that, that, that literally blows my mind. I I would like to say on a daily basis, but I, I I would say that it's, it's something that I'm constantly uh, remembering uh, in conversation with people that I, I, have to have to literally write it on my forehead like this is it is a privilege to get to do this well ryan uh i think uh, gratitude has been a great thread through this conversation and interview um and i would once again like to express my gratitude to you for um for, for chatting to me uh, i have uh, one final question that i ask everyone on the show and my final question is what makes you silly <laughs> my daughter for sure i like i i'm not somebody that dances ever <laughs> in, in any capacity but since my daughter lily was born it's a it's a daily event <laughs> and and silly does not begin to describe um the ridiculousness of uh <laughs> of, of my dancing with her but she just in general like she she is just uh like like i said i'm i mean i know i know every everybody thinks this of their own kids, but she, she is literally the joy of my world. She, she, every, like from the minute she wakes up she's being silly (laughs) and that's, and that is such a gift. It's such a, um, a treat to be able to remember that that stuff is really important. (laughs) Mm. I don't think we're supposed to take everything so seriously. Uh, I think it's, it's, I think she's got a better life perspective than I do. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's amazing we could all we could all borrow from the kids that's right <laughs> that's right mm, thank you so much Ryan my pleasure thanks for talking Just to be a man who 
Well, I hope I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the man who's waking up to you. And when I'm dreaming, well, I know I'm gonna dream, I'm gonna dream about the time I had with you.